passage as we get into it. We'll read Matthew 5 in just a moment, a few verses. But the concept is, and I heard a message like this many, many years ago when I was in Bible school, and uh, the person that was preaching actually was using the King James Bible, which states, what do ye more than others, which you'll see at the top of your outline, which is in your bulletin this morning. What do you do more than others? As God's people, as people that are, if you will, those that know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if they were to die, that they go to heaven, what do we do more than others? And uh, I think you'll find the passage, it's motivational, it's convicting, it's encouraging at the same time. And we're going to read that, and we'll get into it just a moment. And I think you'll understand after we read the passage exactly why this is a critical issue for every Bible-believing church today. Matthew 5, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despite or spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be my sons of your Father in heaven. For he, speaking of the Lord, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, perfect literally meaning the word mature, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Father, I pray now that as we examine this extremely important piece of Scripture, one which Jesus himself spoke, I pray, Lord, that you would do a marvelous work amongst us. Lord, if there's anything in the world that Satan wants to use to harm the church, it's to cause division within, cause heartache within, cause pressures within. And Lord, it's just so prevalent in our society and the Christian churches across the world today. So Father, I pray that you do a marvelous work in our hearts this morning. Lord, I believe that if we get a hold of this wonderful, convicting, tough passage that, Lord, Union Grove Baptist Church can even do more this year than it did in 2022. So, Father, we commit this time to you, Lord. This is it's an important message, Lord. It's a tough message. It's a hard message. It's one that you made very clear is the toughest spiritual discipline that we can exercise in doing what you've asked us to do. So, Father, we ask, as always, that if uh, uh, there's those here this morning that are struggling with this issue, which pretty much every Christian does, that you'd help us this morning to grow spiritually. Then, Father, as always, if there's anyone listening or here this morning that doesn't know for sure if they died, they go to heaven, might they find Jesus Christ, salvation in him, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life here this morning by placing their faith and trust in Jesus. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we uh, enter into 2023, most of us, there's a lot of us, and I know some people actually are against it, but I'm kind of for it, uh, uh, make resolutions. What are you going to do this year? What are you 
pushing forward to accomplish. And uh, uh, I mean, this is a great time. You watch the advertising that's out there, and uh, you'll find a whole lot of diet programs and different things. It's like, are you finally, you know, the uh, I saw Planet Fitness, and I've never been there, don't know it, but uh, all of a sudden they got their $1 join, $10 a month. And uh, what are they doing? They're trying to feed off of the time of the year where, hey, uh, time to get engaged, time to get involved. Here's we, We've got the answer. Your convictions are coming out or your preferences ready to get ready for 2023. What are you going to do? So uh, uh, if we look at it from a spiritual standpoint, and uh, Josh Steele usually, and, and he's not teaching this semester, he'll be teaching again in April, But uh, uh, and, and we kind of switch it up, but Every year, he's kind of got the Bible reading program. So you know what I'm going to ask you to do, brother? And I, we haven't even talked about this, but uh, next week, if you can uh, pull in one of those, and we'll have you introduce it in uh, church time. But uh, have you read through the Bible this year? I'm looking down at one of my good girlfriends down here, Carly Seacosh. And uh, she, uh, every single year, she gets uh, that program, and uh, she'll come up and say, hey, I, I read my passages this week. And I say, well, that's great, and I appreciate that. But uh, are you going to read through the Bible this year? Uh, I've got a little different plan. I'm trying to read through it. Uh, i got a new plan that I came up with, and I'll just say it real quickly. So, again, study time is important, and just reading through the Bible can't take the place of also the study time and things I do for messages and so forth. But I came up with this uh, different one. It's like, you know, you know actually how long it takes to read through the Bible. If you just sat down without underlining, without, you know how long it would literally take to read through the Bible if you just sat down, which you couldn't do unless you prayed and fasted all week. But uh, how long do you think it would take to read the entire Bible? 66 books, the entire thing. 78 hours is the average time to read through the entire Bible. 78. And you say, well, that's a lot of hours. No, it's not. How many hours a week do you work? Well, most people, you know, on average work about 40 hours a week. You say, well, if you took a week of vacation, two weeks of vacation, you'd get through a whole Bible instead of working. Now, I'm not suggesting that. Well, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. But, uh, uh, and it's like, okay, how do I get through the Bible on a more regular basis? And, of course, I don't have to, uh, my work is church work. I don't, I don't work secular anymore uh, in the last three years, four years. And uh, so it's like, you know, when I get up in the morning, here's what I'm going to do. On YouTube, they got really good, and, and there's different guys that read. I don't like the one guy who's kind of, I like a little more dynamics in the reading. So I turn on the video, and, it, and they just literally read through a book of the Bible. And I get my Bible out, and, I, and I've told many, I usually get a new Bible every year, which I do, and I get my highlighter out, and I just, as he's reading, I'm reading along, and uh, I miss some stuff because it goes a little quicker than my pen does, but I literally, in, in 78 hours of just sitting down, even one hour a day, I get through the Bible very, very quickly. And, and it just gets that refreshment in your head. There's so many books that we don't read on a continual basis. So I'm just throwing that out there. That wasn't even part of the message, but just, just uh, throwing it out. Uh, what are other things that uh, we want to do, many of us? And uh, yeah, I got, I got to do this too, but it's like uh, lose weight. So that's a big one. Well, let's lose weight. Let's get in shape. Uh, some of you are thinking about, you know, man, maybe I should take a, a class on something, or maybe I want to go back to school. Some of you are even considering, well, maybe I want to go and uh, uh, go after a different degree or something. And uh, uh, I was, who was I talking to? Um, 
might have been Richard Trushan, but I'm not sure, but it was. And uh, it's like, you know, I got my first doctorate when I was 53, 57 years old. You say, you're, you're 57, I'm a little older than that. But uh, uh, that's when I got my first doctorate, was in my 50s. I got my second one a few years later. Uh, but it's like, I was young, it's like, well, I'm so busy, I got, don't have time, don't have, have you ever said I don't have any time? Yeah, I hear, I hear a lot of, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's constant. Everybody is, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. And I told my wife back when I was in my 30s, it's like, man, we're just too busy, I'm getting too old. It's like it doesn't make sense to go back to school when I'm in my 30s. And I do it when I'm in my 50s. Uh, so uh, if you got plans and you want to move forward with things, don't wait till your 50s, even though it was a good thing. I mean, I'm still glad I did it. Uh, but uh, maybe you want to do something with school. Maybe you want to be more disciplined in your daily life. Well, folks, may I really encourage us along these lines. There's nothing in your life that will be more important and more effective than growing spiritually. This morning, we're going to look at the toughest discipline in Christianity, and Christ makes it very clear when he's speaking about it in this passage that we read a few moments ago. Now, I usually don't do this, but I'm going to. The past two to three weeks have been the most disruptive weeks I've ever seen right here. You say, well, what do you mean? What I mean is I've spent hours and hours of time dealing with, and here's the thing, I want to stop and say this. The message today, there is a bunch of people in here this morning that are saying, why are you preaching to me? Why are you preaching about what? Here's exactly, I have no one in mind here. But in the last couple of weeks, we've had more people get upset with more people than I've ever seen since I've been here in three years. I normally wouldn't say that, but I'm saying it on purpose this morning because sometimes you got to just be real. And it's like, why is that happening? Why all of a sudden are things getting where this person's upset with this person, that person's upset with that person? This, and, and I mean, it, it just, for about two weeks, man, it was just, poo. It's like, man, we got to slow this down. What's going on? Well, you know what? I'm telling you exactly what's going on. Yeah, it's called spiritual warfare. That's exactly what it's called. This Friday, we start one of the most important outreaches that we've had at Union Grove Baptist Church. I've been praying about this for two and a half years. Well, what do you think's going to happen when you put spiritual things on the line? What do you think when you preach the gospel every single week? What do you think's going to happen? There's only one way Satan can take down a church, and how's that? It's division from within. Now, I'm thankful, and I praise the Lord that, to my knowledge, every single major issue that was on the table has or is about to be resolved. But it was a lot. It's like, all right. The message that I'm preaching this morning, I had planned on doing several, probably two months before today. But this is probably the key message that our church needs today. And by the way, it's not just our church. It's churches across the country because this is the exact same issue that takes down churches. And I'm thankful that uh, we've moved forward and uh, uh, the things, to the most part, have been resolved. But boy, this is, this is exactly what we need this morning. So I'm going to talk about this subject, what do ye or what do you do more than others? So we had Jesus meeting with uh, 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 the people on uh, the Mount 
a beatitude, so to speak. I'll show you a few pictures from there today in just a moment. And uh, Jesus is basically, he's, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to the people. He's instructing them about how they are to live. Now, the specific context is he's talking about the kingdom of God. And you say, well, are we in the kingdom today? No, we're not. The kingdom actually uh, will be in the future. I'm not going to go into the prophetic timeline today. But he was specifically targeting what should be taking place after the tribulation when we get into the millennium. Here's how things should act. Because that's what they understood. They didn't understand the church age at that time. But these are very, very specific applicable truths for our time today. So where are we at? We're, this is uh, uh, at the Mount of Beatitudes. Some of you have been there that have been to Israel. And uh, what you're looking at, and, and again, if you, when you go to Israel, every single place that you go to that has any significance biblically, there's going to be a Catholic, uh, um, this happens to be a Catholic, uh, uh, let's just call it memorial place. They do some services there. I, I, I'm looking at uh, Mary and Bernie because I think they saw this one. Uh, a couple of times that I went there, and this, is, this has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just kind of interesting. So uh, uh, because it's a Catholic place, and, and uh, many uh, in Catholic churches, they don't kind of get excited and talk and have fellowship during uh, opening times. There was this one nun, and God bless her, she would run outside. She'd hear people talking out in the, uh, around the bushes here, and she'd come out and yell at us and say, shush, 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 you know, have some respect. And uh, that just I, I just got kind of a kick out of her. She was a, a very lively older lady that uh, tried to keep us in line, which was impossible. But anyway, uh, uh, what were you looking at now where the basically this basilica is? If you look down, you see the Sea of Galilee, which is literally, I mean, you just a short walk uh, down the hill where we where uh, it is believed that's probably or at least close to where Jesus himself delivered the Sermon on the Mount. So we take the basilica out of it, and literally you could have, you could put thousands of people up on this hill. They're there, and uh, Jesus is teaching the people this very very important principles about here's how you should live. Here's how God's people should react with each other and with the outside world. And just one more uh, picture, if you remember the place called Capernaum, which is where Jesus did a major part of his ministry. Remember, Jesus uh, uh, interacted, his main earthly ministry was just some three years, and a lot of it was centered right in Capernaum, which is literally just down the, the beach a bit uh, away. So Sea of Galilee is not that large, but it's just interesting. And you say, well, you know, I'd really like to go there in person. Well, I've been there many times. I'm, uh, we're working on putting a tour together. We'll, we'll announce that probably within the month. Uh, you may want to go there and see these things in person. But just kind of imagine for a minute. Here's Jesus himself getting the people together. And he's like, okay, this is the most important principles, the most important biblical truths that we need to go after. And this particular thought, and it just absolutely shook my world when I was, and this is probably 30 plus, 40 plus years ago when I heard this. The pastor got up and his whole message was, and he didn't, he was very, he'd just take little phrases when he preached. And the whole message, which was just beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it into our heads. What do you do more than others? What do you do more than others? And uh, that was the whole concept. And I asked us this morning, what do we do more than others? And let's try and get this within the context of what Jesus was stating. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to examine the biblical pathway to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. So you've got the outline in your bulletins if you want to follow along. So uh, the first section here, the peculiar actions of the spiritually confused. We're going to look at what happens with the spiritually immature first. And uh, Jesus is talking now. Remember, this is a Jewish audience. He's in, he's in Israel. The gospel had not gone, and, and you follow the book of Acts. They start in Jerusalem, which is basically a Jewish audience, and then they're going to reach out to Judea, bigger part of southern Israel, then out to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And if you watch the, and that's why we've been going through Acts on Wednesday night uh, to go through this. But right now he's dealing mainly with the Jewish people. Now Gentile proselytes, of course, were always invited uh, to to follow along, but the the main focus was with the Jews at this point. But again. This has major significance to me and you today. And he starts out with, and, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because the Jewish people not, didn't just follow the, if you will, the Old Testament Bible. The Jewish Pharisees, scribes, elders, leaders, if you will, they added a whole bunch of rules and regulations to the Scriptures. And Jesus is going to point that out right here. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Where in the world in the Bible does it say to hate your neighbor or to hate your enemy? Now, there's places if you go to, and uh, some of the commentaries will go there and say, well, you know, there's a couple of different places where uh, uh, the imprecatory, you ever hear of an imprecatory psalm? You know what an imprecatory psalm is? It's basically praying judgment on someone else. So, uh, uh, and, and David did it at times. And, they'd, and, and back in the Old Testament times, it was, listen, God, take vengeance on my enemy. So, I mean, there, there was that concept there. And then the Jews expanded on it to the point of, hate your enemy. Jesus said, that's what's been said of old. That's kind of been the way you guys have lived, if you will. I love those who love me. But boy, if you get in my face and I don't like you, I hate you. Hate. That's pretty strong. That's a very strong term. But he says, listen, let's go to what the spiritual mature action is. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spiritually or uh, spitefully use you and persecute you. Wait a second. Hang on, Jesus. What are you saying here? He said, listen, you know how easy it is to love folks that love you? I mean, that's pretty easy. Sometimes. Do you know what happens? And, and, and I told this illustration a couple of weeks ago. A lot of you weren't here, people traveling. So, uh, and I'm going to give it one more time. Valerie and I, where's Valerie at? There you are. Um, we were in a, a restaurant. I won't say which one, but it was Denny's. And uh, you say, why do you go to Denny's? Because it's cheap. <laughs> Across the street from Denny's is uh, the one that we go to. Is another restaurant. I took Trevor. You say you're rabbit trailing. I am. And uh, uh, I took Trevor there, I don't know, probably a year ago. I spent 60 bucks for breakfast. Yeah, right. And I was like, what in the world? And I mean, it wasn't a fancy restaurant. And uh, I'm like, well, that's enough of that. And uh, 
but we had a good time. It was worth it. I was with my boy, and uh, who's now married, and life is great. But it's like, I'm not spending $60, so I go to Denny's. So Valerie and I, our new favorite place is Denny's because it's cheap. Anyway, uh, uh, it's, uh, right, it's uh, right before Christmas, and uh, the day before, we're having breakfast, and uh, the waitress comes up and says, hey, you know what? Um, we're going to be open tomorrow on Christmas Day. They're like, really? She says, yeah, because when you have your first fight at your Christmas dinner, you can come here and finish it. <laughs> uh, now, folks, that's the culture. It was anticipated, and she's saying this to every single person that comes in the restaurant. Yeah, when, you have the, when, you're, when your family breaks up at the Christmas dinner and you have your fight, come on down here and eat at Denny's. Now, it's laughable to some degree, but do you know how true that is? That families get cattywampus, you get, you get brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and grandpa, and all of a sudden a subject pops up and what happens? Well, what are you talking about? And bam, it goes sideways. So it's very interesting. Now, now, now what are we dealing with here? Jesus is approaching the people and saying, listen, You've heard that it's been said of old, just love your neighbor. Love those who love you and life is good. And that's an easier thing to do. And even then we mess up. And now Jesus says, you want to grow spiritually. You want to be in tune with me. I need you to get to the next level here that just don't love those who love you. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wow. Seriously? Jesus said, you want to be my disciples? You want to follow me? You want to be examples? This is what I want my people to do. That you may be what? Sons of your Father in heaven. This is how I want my children to act. This is how I want my family to act. This is how I want, if you will, the church of God to act. This is how I want people to intertwine with each other. This is how I want you to deal with those that you have business with. This is how I want you to deal with those that you go to school with. This is how I want you to deal with when you go to Walmart or Kmart or Target or whatever store you may go to. Those of you that got a few more bucks, maybe Neiman Marcus or some of these others, and all of a sudden somebody gives you a hard time and the, and the, and the, the clerk's a bit out of sorts and the waitress has a, had a rough day and she just left a home that's falling apart and it's like how dare you treat me like this and we blow a gasket and lose our testimony and God says what do you do more than others let's start with the first admonition love your enemies now folks there's not a single person sitting here that's been here that's uh, been a Christian more than a few weeks that doesn't know this Jesus said, you know, the toughest spiritual discipline is to love your enemies. She said, what do you do more than others? The tax collectors, the sinners, those that hate God, they'll love those who love them, but what do you do more than others? Here's the principle that Jesus puts out there. Loving your enemies is the most difficult of spiritual disciplines, but it's a mark of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Now, 
I'm going to caveat for just a moment here. There are those that are on, in their book, you are their enemy. There are those in their book that you are an offensive individual. You say, well, what are you saying? What is God asking me to do here? He's not asking you to marry this person. <laughs> He's not asking you to go into a business relationship with them. He's not asking you to, or me or anyone else, he's not asking us to say, listen, this is going to be my best friend, the person who hates me. He's not saying that. So you're like, well, if I'm in a situation and this person absolutely hates me, they despise me, what should I do? You love them. I'm not necessarily saying you partner with them in any endeavor, but you still love them. You care about them. You show them grace and love. So it's like, I don't want to take this beyond the scope that Christ is giving here. You love the people. Now, you look at Jesus in, in uh, the Gospels, and how did he respond to those that were antagonistic towards him? Well, sometimes, yeah, he, he got a little rough on them. In fact, sometimes very rough. So the point is not to join with those who hate you, but the point is, listen, you still show them grace, you still show them love, and you hold your temper. That's what he's saying. He says, love your enemies. How do I love my enemies? Well, love is a, it's an action word. It's not simply, well, I just got this lovely, you're not going to have a lovely feeling towards those who hate you. <laughs> you're just not. So God's looking at those that you have a problem with, that you're in, in conflict with, and he's saying, listen, you know how many times I've used this, and I, I, I do this every time I'm counseling, with, almost every time I'm counseling with folks, is there's conflict. I've done it here many times, and I'm going to do it again today. You say, well, why don't we repeat something yet you've already stated? And by the way, that's very hard for me to do, to repeat things, but it's like the best form of learning is what? Teachers, repetition. So one, and I like, and I like to use. Uh, maybe I should use something different, but uh, I like to go to the wedding, specifically old-fashioned weddings. You don't see this much anymore, but on occasion you'll see the the multi-tiered cake. Most people, it's too expensive to buy the multi-tiered cake, so you don't see a lot of that anymore. But on the multi-tiered cake, and up at the top, there was the bride and the groom looking at each other, all googly-eyed and happy. Life is good. And, uh, I mean, it's the perfect, I mean, you don't, they're just absolutely gorgeous and perfect up there. Life is wonderful. And they, uh, they, they uh, say their vows. And I like, kind of in sarcastic ways, like, and then the ring goes on. And then it goes cattywampus. And then the first fight start, the first arguments. And, oh, well, here's what I ask folks to do. And uh, I'm going to be off camera here probably. I'll try to stick close. But as you see, I'm, I'm, on, I'm raised up three steps here. And the reason I'm standing up here is simply so I can see you. <laughs> That's it. It's not about an authority issue. It's about I'm up here because you raise people up so they can see the audience and you unfortunately can see me. <laughs> Thank you so much. God bless you. I love you too. And uh, <laughs> what do you do more? No, anyway. Uh, but here we are. 
here's the bride and the groom, they're standing up here all happy as can be, and then all of a sudden the conflicts start. And folks, this is in every single relationship. If there's two people, there's going to be conflict. Now, some of you get have less conflict than others. Some have a lot more than others. Well, why? Well, here's the issue. You got two people standing up here, and all of a sudden, if we get in our mind that it's my way or the highway, and we're like, listen, get off my platform. You step down. I'm the boss. I'm staying up here. You get down there, young lady. You get down there, husband. You get down there, associate, friend, brother, sister. Get off my platform. This is my platform. By the way, if anybody takes this out of context on the Internet, (laughs) and we push them down. Get off my platform. And boy, we can get upset. We can get mad. We can get fired up. We can split up families. Churches have split up. Businesses have split up. Why? Because it's my way or the highway. Get off my platform. And uh, you push them off. And that person that got pushed off is now down here, subservient position, not willingly subservient, but they got bashed down. And this person's taken the high road, but in a wrong manner. Here's what God asks us to do. Here's two people, any relationship, married or not, business or not, school or not, family or not, relationship of any kind. Two people standing on the same platform, and one says, this is the way it's going to be. And you push the person down. How's, how does that work for you? Doesn't work good, does it? And you get upset, you get mad, and it's like, who do they think they are? Because it's usually a disagreement over preferences, not convictions, but preferences. I want it this way, therefore this is the way it's going to be. Get off my platform. God says, listen, can you love your enemy? Here's exactly what he's saying. Two people up on top, two people in conflict, and God says, here's what I want you to do voluntarily. I want you to step off the platform yourself. Get off. Get down. Get down here. And you willingly step off the platform and say, listen, I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to love you. And the person up on top has a heart attack. <laughs> because they're like, what? You're going to... St- yeah, that's, that's God's model. Get off God's platform, first of all. Put him number one. Put everyone else number two. And put yourself below them. Philippians chapter 2, the great, what's called the kenosis passage, the self-emptying of Christ, where he said, listen, you humble yourself before others. Put others first. As much as lies within you live, come on, peaceably with all men and women. That's God's model. Loving your enemies is the most difficult of spiritual disciplines and is an absolute mark of spiritual maturity. Jesus says, I won't put some teeth to that message. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God himself demonstrates his own... What does he do? He demonstrates. 
demonstrates it. What do you mean demonstrate? Do you get a picket sign and go outside? No, it's not the kind of demonstration he's talking about. He demonstrates it. In other words, he actively does something. Well, how does God show his love to others? He says he demonstrates, he actively shows his love towards us, and that while we hated him, while we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? He gave his life for us? But scarcely for a righteous man will one die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that's a hard message. It's a very hard message. It's a tough message. It's one, ah, me and my wife, we just can't seem to get along. You know, we, we get to church, we try, we try to do our best, and we get back home, or as soon as we get in the car, boom, the roof blows off. We're screaming and yelling and fussing and cursing, and ah, it's horrible. Can't stand it. What am I going to do? Get off the throne. Get off the platform. Humble yourself. Put yourself where you belong, number two. So that's hard. Oh, yeah, it's hard. You know, it's so hard, that's why we have 60% of marriages fail in divorce. Because it's hard. Christians are 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. Why? Because it's hard. You say, well, when I trusted Christ, I knew everything was going to be great. And I was told when I got saved that everything's now going to be wonderful and happy and there'll be no problems and life is just going to be full of joy when I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That's a lie. You know why? Because Jesus made it perfectly clear. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. And by the way, if you don't put on the spiritual armor every single day, you're in a battle. You're going to lose. You're under constant attack, folks. Every single person that God uses. Why, does, why do divisions happen? Why do people get sideways? Why all of a sudden, bam, you're going to do something uh, moving forward for God? Satan says, wait a minute, that church down the block not speaking of any church down the block here, just figuratively speaking, but the church down the block, you know, they're not doing anything for God. They're not preaching the gospel. They show up, they give some little ditty, they sing some great music, they get up and dance and shout and wave their arms, and they walk out like they just went to a great concert, and they go home and life is good. And Satan says, I don't need to spend time wasting my time on that church. Those people, they're not doing anything for God. Why mess with them? You say, oh, man, you know, Brother Rich, uh, I got up in the morning and got my Bible and started to read it. And the kids came in and started screaming and yelling and fussing and fighting. My spouse came up and said, hey, I got something I need you to do. And I was just trying to have a little quiet time with God, and every single second, the dog started barking, the phone started ringing, everybody's texting me. It's like people are at the doorbell. Prime, Prime is outside knocking on my door, leaving packages. And you're, you're, you're trying to get your life right. And you're trying to do the right thing. And what's going to happen? Satan says, I don't like that. I'm coming for you. He ain't going to mess with you if you aren't doing anything for God. You're working for God, what's he going to do? Bam, 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 bam. Attack! You've got to put on that spiritual armor. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Sinners, publicans. Tax collectors, 
rotten, dirty, filthy sinners. And Jesus said, I love you. What? You want to go home and have marital bliss? Get off the throne. I can't do that. Well, you can. You got to choose to do it, though. I hate going to school. I get picked on all the time. Love those who hate you. You know what? If you fall on your face and start praying for those that you got a problem with, you know all of a sudden your whole life changes, your whole attitude changes towards that person. <sighs> all right, I'll confess one of my sins. So this week I, I wrote an individual who's the head of a major organization Christian organization and I've known the person for several years and uh, basically wished the, the person a happy new year and great Christmas and all that good stuff and you're all I got you on pins and needles now don't I like what did you do I said well here's what we're doing down in Union Grove and here's what we're doing with Prophecy Focus Ministries and I I sent it to him on purpose because I've spoken at their national uh, convention several times, and it's like I hadn't heard from them in a year or so, and it's like I wanted to, I wanted to get their attention. I reread that the, the, after I sent it, and it's like, man, Rich, why did you do that? You knucklehead, you shouldn't have done it. You say, Pastor, did you just call yourself a knucklehead? I did. Because here's what I did. Inadvertently, I, I, I mean, I, I wanted him to know, hey, I'm alive and well. If you need to call me, I'm around. That, that was really what I should have said. But instead, I started talking about stuff that's been accomplished, the wonderful things that are going on, the radio, the tea, all this stuff. For two days, I was convicted about what I'd sent him. You say, you're a pastor. You, 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 you got convicted? Yeah, I get convicted all the time. Did you understand that pastors aren't perfect? Don't say amen. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. And a little self-serving, and it's like, you know, that's not, I've never done things this way. Why in the world did you do that? Two days later, I wrote him. Happened to been yesterday. And I wrote him and said, and the title of the subject was My Apology. And I said, you know, and he had done something really, really good that I'd commented on, and I said, you know, the words that I sent to you about what you'd done that was just excellent. I said, those words were as true as can be, and I meant every word of it. But I said, I want to ask for your forgiveness, and I apologize for basically being a little self-promotion, if you will, in, in what I sent you, and, you know, would you forgive me, and I'm really sorry for it. Well, what do you think he did? Within an hour, he wrote me back. <laughs> he said, no worries, brother. And the two things I had mentioned, he said, you know, let's get this done. Before it was like, drop dead, buddy. <laughs> Repair the relationship. And it was my fault. I had to fall on the sword. And I did. And I'm so happy. You know what happened after I wrote that little email to him? I've been feeling like garbage for two days. I wrote the email. He wrote me back. And you know how I felt 10 seconds later? Woo! Thank you, Lord. Did the right thing. All that horrible feeling I had inside went away. 
And that's what I'm telling you. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you, you, you mess up like that. Folks, yeah, I mess up. We all mess up. We do things we wish we wouldn't have. And God says, listen, would you love your enemies as yourself? Bless those who curse you. A curse is a direct is a directly expressed or indicated utterance which in virtue of a supernatural nexus of operation brings harm by its very expression to the one against whom it is directed. Now catch this. God's saying, here's the people I want you to forgive and, and bless. He says, for true cursing, going back to biblical times, there is thus needed the special endowment possessed by priests, wizards, chiefs etc a special situation like that of the dying man or someone unjustly persecuted the use of special formula such as the naming of names or the observant of particular customs now you're going to lose the internet uh, a screen here for a moment we'll see if we get back up but i'll try and make this very clear what he's saying here is, listen, those who are actually of the occult, those who are actually literally, spiritually, religiously against us, I want you to bless those people. Bless them. I didn't say to align with them. I didn't say to become part of their cult or part of their group, but you need to bless those people who curse you. Third, do good to those who hate you. What does the word hate mean? It's the aversion and hostility of men among themselves. Let me say it again. What is hate? The aversion and hostility of men among themselves. Men and women, of course, goes across the board. It's an aversion. I hate you! And God says, listen, I want you to go above that and to do more than others. Number four, he says, listen, I want you to pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Would you pray for them? You say, I can't do that. I, I'm mad at them. They offended me. I don't like them anymore. And God says, get off, your, get off the platform. Get off the top of the cake. Lower yourself and look up. Support and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Well, we're down at uh, point 1C, spiritual perfect actions of God. What did he say? He said, listen, God's saying this to us. He said, do you understand how I treat everybody on this earth? He says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Do you understand, folks, that the pagans that live on this earth today, those who hate God, those who are against God, all of those individuals, God says, listen, I'm going to give them a son today the same as you. Now, it's a little cloudy out, but take the most sunny of days. He says, listen, I'm only going to give son to the Christian group. The rest of you, I'm going to figure out how to put a canopy over you so you can't see the sun. And God said, no, it's not how it's. I, I love everybody. I give everybody the sun, so to speak. I make the sun rise on the evil and on the good. I send rain on the just and the unjust. You say, well, we got a Christian farmer down the street here, and only that farm should get rain. Fooey on the other farmers that don't believe in Jesus, that don't follow the Bible, that don't believe in God. Fooey on them. Don't give them rain. And God says, no, I'm going to give rain to them too. I make my sun rise. I make the rain come for the just and the unjust. Because God is what? Well, he's just, but he's loving and he's caring. What else does he say? Verse 46 the perilous actions of spiritual deadness, failure to love the unlovely. For if you love those who love you, 
What reward have you? Basically, listen, if you love folks that love you, mutual feeling, it's no big deal. Everybody does that. So the tax collectors, and of course tax collectors back in the day were Jews that basically defected to the Roman side and said, ah, we're going to get every dime we can out of those, out of our people. They were hated. Why? Because they turncoated on their own people. And they pocketed money. They were corrupt. And God says, listen, even tax collectors, those dirty, rotten sinners, if you will, they do good to other folks. And if you greet your brethren only, you ever walk into church, and there's your friend. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Then comes the person you got a little bit of a rub with. Hurry up and run to the bathroom. You run the other way. You run the other direction. Don't want to talk to that person. Ah, you know, that person offended me. I don't like them. And you hush up and you walk away and you put your head down and you, yeah, I got to read the Bolton real quick and scurry off so you don't have to talk with them or meet with them. And God says, what do you do more than others? Did you hear that? <laughs> Woke a few up. Yeah. What do you do more than others, tax collector? What do you more than other sinner? What do you more than... Wait a minute, we're not talking about tax collectors and sinners here. We're talking about God's people. What do you do more than others? And God says, listen, when, when you see that person, it's like, ah, that person offended me. Ah, that person, I don't like what they did. And I'm not going to talk. And God says, what in the world? Get right with God. Is that simple enough? Get right with God. Humble yourself. Get on your knees. Pray for that person. Next time you see that person, you walk up to them and say, all right, Lord, this is hard. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? Well, good to see you. I'm doing good. You'll transform your life, not theirs. You see, when you're bitter and you're angry with somebody, it doesn't hurt them. Who does it hurt? The self. Now the other person may pick up on it, and they're like, man, what's wrong with so-and-so? Why don't so-and-so ever say hi to me? You know you can transform the church of God by loving people? The church that God's love is building. You say, Pastor, why have we had that up there year after year? You've been here three years and you keep pounding that subject. The church that God's love is building. Because it's got to be the church that God's love is building or the church will collapse. That's exactly why. And I push that message and push that message and push that message and I preach on it, and I throw it into messages here, there, and everywhere, because if we are not loving people, we have failed the mission of God. It just don't work. Well, let's close out. And you say, well, praise the Lord, and we're waiting for that. But I, Jesus, say to you, do what? He says, what do you do, Christian, more than others? But I, Jesus, say to you, and here's those four points, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Every single one of us as God's people are going to endure conflict. We're going to endure issues. Why? Because Satan himself, 
every single day from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed is trying to figure out how to mess up your life and the best way he can do that in the Christian church, in the Christian family, in the Christian school, in the Christian life is to get you sideways with another Christian. That works every time. And Jesus said, listen, listen, my disciples, listen, my people, listen, those who want to follow me, would you humble yourself? Would you get off the would you get off the platform? Would you get off the throne? Would you get off the top of the wedding cake? Would you put yourself below that other people and do what Jesus himself did? But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does he say? Therefore you shall be perfect. He's talking about being mature. He's saying, Do you want to get above the spiritual babyhood level? You better learn how to get along with people. You better learn to love people. You better not only learn to love people, but learn to love your enemy. Learn to bless those who hate you and who curse you and embrace them and pull them in and get yourself secondary to everyone else. Therefore, you shall be mature or perfect. Ephesians 4, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's what God says now. If you're a Christian, now folks sometimes, well, you know, I, I, does God really permanently keep all those who are his children? Or can you lose your salvation? Well, God says if you've trusted Jesus Christ and you truly gave you, uh, understand that and you truly understand the gospel, you've truly received the precious gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, God says, listen, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And God says, listen, here's how you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you. And here's what he says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. What does he say to do with it? Get rid of it. Put it away. And then he says, here comes that tough spiritual discipline again if you want to be mature. Be what? Oh. Oh, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Let's just skip the next word. What's the next word? Let's skip it, right? Let's pull it out. Let's, let's, let's exit out. Let's put a line through it. So that's the way we live many times. God says, listen, you want to be my children? Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Then you better forgive those who you're not happy with today or tomorrow or a year ago or 10 years ago. Even as what? God in Christ. What did he do? Forgave you. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as my Father in heaven is perfect. What do you do more than others. About a year ago, I don't see him here today. I think he's out of town. Came up to me and says, he started crying and he says, Pastor, he says, I think we're having a revival here. I said, Well, I don't know if we're having a revival or not. We've seen some good growth. We see some folks come to Christ and that's wonderful. I don't know about a revival yet. I think we're working towards one. Folks, if we want 2023 to be something besides just another church, 
just another group of Christians, just another bunch of half-hearted, half-in, half-out, half-on, half-off kind of church. And it's time for revival. How does revival start? <laughs> it's when we fall on our face and say, oh God, it's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. I messed up. I've been harsh. I told you what I did two days ago. Right? Got out of, got a little high on my pedestal. And I went down and humbled myself. That's not to pat me on the back, it's actually to shame me. You say, why do you want to shame yourself in front of your own church? Because if I don't act real and tell you the struggles we all face, we'll all fail together. So may I encourage you, and we're going to shut down, and I know I'm going a little long, what's new? I want the Holy Spirit to do something in our church, in our lives. I want lives to be changed Amen. for the good. And it starts out with what do you do more than other Christian? Finally, Romans 5, 8, for those you may be here this morning, may be watching, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? You say, I don't know. Then listen, everything else. You can't be, a, I, I hate to put it this way, it sounds bad, but you cannot be a good, loving person if you don't know Jesus. You can't do it. It's hard enough to do it with when you do know him. But here's how you start that relationship. But God, what does he do? He demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ didn't reject us. He said, I love you and I'm going to take you. Have you taken that free gift? Father, we pray now that you do what only you can do. Lord, this tough message, it's hard, it's convicting. And I know right now Satan would just love to mess things up. He just loved to push the Holy Spirit right out of this room this morning. He just loved to push it out of those that are watching on the internet this morning and their families are in turmoil and their lives are in turmoil. And Satan's saying, Don't listen to it. Don't buy into that. And God says, You got to buy into it or you're going to suffer on this earth. You're going to have a bitter life. You're going to have an upset life. You're going to have horrible relationships and life will just go the wrong direction. Ten years ago, I would have done an old-fashioned altar call and said, listen, if you're not right with God, get on down here and get on the altar, fall on your face, pray and ask God to help you do what you need to do. Instead, what I'm going to ask you to do is right there where you are because I don't want it to be a demonstration. I don't want it to be an outward act to others. I want it to be an inward change of the heart. If that's you this morning, you make that seat that you're in an old-fashioned altar. You ask God to take that bitterness and anger and hatred and whatever it is that's causing you to not love someone else and put it on the old-fashioned altar this morning and give it to the Lord. Right now, do it. I encourage you. Spend a second there. Spend a few minutes. Oh, God, help me this year. Help me not to get upset with folks when they offend me. Help me not to get upset with those who just seemingly are against me and hate me and persecute me and go against me. God says, what do you do more than others, my dear friend? How about that person that lives hundreds of miles away from you that you basically shut down because you got offended with them? It's a daughter, a son, a mom, a dad, a grandma, grandpa, uncle, an aunt.
how about calling them up and getting off the altar, getting, or getting off the platform, getting off the top of the cake and humbling yourselves and asking for forgiveness. You say, well, they're the ones that did the offense. And God says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrate your love. Finally, while Christians are praying, getting right with the Lord, if you're here this morning or watching, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? And God says, I got a free gift for you I want to give you this morning. I want to teach you how you can love others. And here's how it starts. Number one, you have to understand that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second thing, because we sinned, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would spend an eternity in an awful place called the lake of fire, hell, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead to pay every single penny, if you will, for our sin debt, 1 Corinthians 15.3 and 4. And you say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. What do I need to do? Well, here it is. Here's God's promise. For God so loved the world, loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anyone who believe in him, his death, burial, and resurrection should not perish and go to hell but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we know that verse well here at this church. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift, are you saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We just celebrated Christmas. You probably received a present from someone. And Jesus said, I want to give you my present this morning, which is called eternal life by placing your faith and trust in me. Would you do that this morning? Would you trust Christ? Would you uh, accept that free gift of eternal life? You say, Brother Rich, I want to do that this morning. I want to start my life right this year with Jesus. Well, that's wonderful. I'm so happy you do. Well, let's say a prayer of thanksgiving. The prayer is not what will save you, but let's just confirm what you just did in your heart when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you want to pray along silently something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, was crucified, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And I believe that Jesus did that for me, and I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life because I realize Jesus paid the entire penalty for my sin. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, I pray that we'd have a revival start in this very moment. We commit this to you and all God's people said.